This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome back to Punk Rock HR. Back in the day, people lived to be 50 or 60 years old. They were born, maybe they got an education, they definitely went to work, and if they were lucky, they retired. Now, people live to be 100 years old or longer, and the map of living has fundamentally changed. My guest today is Ken Stern. He's a podcaster and media executive who hosts the show Century Lives in conjunction with Stanford Center on Longevity. In this season of Century Lives, Ken is going deep on the world of work and exploring what it means to have a career when you live to be 100 years old. How do they do it in Finland? How do they do it in Iceland? What do kids today think about their careers and what they'll be doing in 50 or 60 years? That's what Ken is exploring. So if you're interested in topics like aging and work and meaning and purpose, well, I invite you to sit back and enjoy this conversation about the future of work with Ken Stern. Hey, Ken, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lori. Nice to be here with you. I'm super pleased you're here. Listen, why don't we get started by having you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? So I'm Ken Stern. I'm the host of a podcast called Century Lives from the Stanford Center on Longevity. And I write and think and talk to people about the impact of longevity on our lives and our society. Why do you care about longevity? Well, I care about it for a number of reasons. What I love about the topic is that it encompasses everything. And one of the interesting things that sort of got me into this thing was the notion that we're a much longer lived society than we used to be. The lifespan has largely doubled in the last 150 years, but we still operate as if our lives are much shorter. Some of the rules of society, the retirement age of 65 was invented by Bismarck in 1880 when he was trying to figure out how not to pay people pensions. You know, the idea that we get all of our education, the first quartile of life, doesn't make a lot of sense when you're going to have 40, 50, maybe even 60-year careers. So I love thinking about these topics and talking to people about these topics. Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast? So it's called Century Lives. It's from the Stanford Center on Longevity. And the Center on Longevity is sort of the world's leading think tank of the impact of longevity on our lives. And we launched it in January. Season one was about what we call the new map of life, just how do you reimagine society? across all these different segments in light of longer life. And season two, which comes out in May, is all about the future of work in light of longer life. And I'm super excited about that topic. I know you're intertwined with Stanford and have a great relationship with them. So tell us a little bit more about it. So uh, the podcast actually I host is their podcast. So I've been working with them on podcasts and other things for a couple of years. The Stanford Center on Longevity was launched by a psychology and political science professor at Stanford named Laura Carstensen about 12 years ago. And it's sort of the group that has really tried to change the conversation about longevity to one about aging and the challenges of aging to one about how do we reinvent our entire course of life with the notion that longevity really begins at birth. And if you really want to think about healthy, productive, century-long lives, you have to think about the entire life course in new ways. 
Why don't you tell us a little bit about the future of work and why you took that on as a topic for season two of your podcast? Because when I think about my long lived life and the life I want to have, I don't want to think about work. But you tell me, why did you want to tackle the concept of work? Well, it starts with this, the, the sort of the question, which is most people who think about longevity and work think about longer careers. And so when I start talking to people about, hey, you know, in the future, maybe not me, because I'm a little bit on the old side, but my son might have a need to have a, four, a 40, 50, 60 year career. And that sort of, you know, makes people to push me off the top of a building because that idea is not particularly appealing. And I understand that. And so the season of this podcast is really focused on how do you really invent careers so that that idea is not scary. It's actually ennobling and attractive to people. And how can they have multiple careers and ones that don't kill them on the, along the way? And that's you know what the topic we try to tackle, starting with kids coming out of college. So the season starts with kids at Stanford. Stanford podcast, them embarking on their 50-year career, and we'll go all the way through older workers and the new retirees. So before we talk about all that, I just wonder if we can stop for a second and answer this question. Is the notion of a career an old-fashioned idea? Because if I recall the language on the Stanford website, and you know I've listened to your podcast, there are three structures to our lives. The idea of being born and being educated in the early part of our career, and then retirement. That's an old way of thinking. And the work you're doing today with Stanford is all about the new way of living and the new way of work. So we're used to thinking of a career as almost a continuous thing, and we already know that that's changing. So uh, one of the people we interview has written a book called The Squiggly Career. So it's not up and to the right, it's all over the place. Average person will have 25 different jobs and three different careers. And if it makes sense, it's going to be needed to be broken up by education and caregiving and you know time off to recharge. So that sort of unbroken Or also life. illness or age or exactly. all sorts of things that get in the way of, you know, living and thriving. Mental health breaks, just the known unknowns, you know, sort of Don Rumsfeld was famous for saying the known unknowns. I don't know what's going to happen in that 50 years um, or 60 years. Something's unexpected is going to happen. Ken, I've got to be honest with you. For me, it feels like this idea of contributing and being productive wherever we are for 50 or 60 years, well, it sounds exhausting, especially the way we treat our bodies today. So maybe we can start there because I don't think the modern lifestyle and the modern body is really built for a 60-year career. I don't know if I feel like I can do another eight or 10-hour day in 20 years. I'm not sure I'm built for that. So you tell me, what does the future of work look like and what did you discover as you were doing your reporting? So that question looks very different depending on who you ask. So if you ask people on the younger side, 25, 30, like what do they think of their retirement looks like? They will answer, and I'm quoting, I want to sleep late because they view like 50 years, I'm going to be exhausted and tired. But if you talk to people who are 50, 60, 70, they're not thinking about sleeping late. They're thinking about how can I still have a purposeful life? So I think it's not about our bodies breaking down. It's about how do you find purpose in all different stages of your life and having enough time over the course of 50 years that your body doesn't break down. And you can still have that, you know, we think about health span, not just lifespan. So you can have a health span that allows you to be productive and purposeful well into your 80s or 90s or someday even beyond. Ken, I approach this topic as a 47-year-old who feels tired all of the time. But 
I'm American and, you know, I think, boy, this lifespan of mine, it's taxing. But you go and report on work and lifespans in countries other than here in America. And I would imagine that lifespan and health span and education differ greatly based on geography. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So in the run up to season two, we're doing special episodes on different work cultures. So we start with Iceland, which is the first country to go to a less than formally go to a less than 40 hour work week and talk to people who are using that extra time just to recharge or take care of family or do things that help them really have a well-rounded life. You know, we talk a lot about work-life balance. You got to sort of adjust the hours. This week it's Finland and sort of the notion of radical flexibility from where you work, what hours you work and give you time to approach work differently. And the next one, which I think in some ways the most interesting is Singapore, which along with Japan is the longest lived society. And they're tackling that question of, okay, people are going to work longer, but they need to work differently. So they still have a retirement age of 62 or 63. But after that, the government encourages reemployment, but in different work in, in a way that allows them to have life flexibility that's important and appropriate to that age. So finding that right balance. Other countries are very uh, intentional about it in ways that we aren't in the United States. But I think you can learn a lot by listening to what other countries are doing, what other companies are doing. Do you take a radical position in this season on what the future of work should look like? Do you plant a flag? Do you say what it should be? And more importantly, what it shouldn't be? I hope so. We're still producing it. So that is to be determined because truthfully, we're still doing reporting. But I think the answer is yes. I mean, I think it starts with the notion that you're not going to have a happy, productive 40, 50 year life if all you're doing is working and there's no time for other things that are important and there's no space. It's a current thing to say, but historically, it's a very un-American thing to say. You know, Max Weber and the, the spirit of capitalism really pervades how we think about work. But if you're going to have that life, that work life that fits into a 100-year life, it be very different. It's going to be a very different work world, which is hopefully one we describe. So call me crazy, but I don't think you can have a long-lived life if all you do is work. And I'm a little concerned about that because I'm in the world of human resources right now. And we are trying to have a conversation around progressive people practices and conscious capitalism and treating people well. But I know that a lot of it is talk. And some of the tenets of progressive people practices, well, they're actually antithetical to profit and profitability and revenue. And so I think there's this natural tension in the system. And it feels nearly impossible to live a life that's long and well-lived and also work in a capitalistic society. And the people who are doing it really well, well, those are the people who are born at third base. And I just wonder if we can actually live the long lives that you talk about and still have the system that we have. Don't we need to light it on fire? So I'm going to start off by at least questioning the issue of a trade-off between hours work and productivity. That's a long discussion. I mean, you know, the 40-hour work week was challenged before sort of Henry Ford put a flag in and said, this is what we're going to do. It was challenged, like, how could you lose profits by and have people work less? And it was productivity studies that showed that 40 hours, people actually were more productive than they were at 50 hours. And what Iceland has found, or at least arguing that it's going to be the same at 36, people are more productive when they have more time and are better rested. I think that notion of a trade-off has to be, um, it's not a trade-off that is necessarily real. I mean, one, one of the things, you know, John Maynard Keynes, the great capitalist economist, predicted that his grandchildren would only work 15 hours a week because they would trade productivity gains for more leisure time. And it hasn't happened, literally, for his grandchildren. NPR interviewed them. But I think that's got to happen. I mean, it's the nature of capitalism. we got to buy a little more leisure time for us to be effective over longer lifespans. 
Well, I don't disagree with that. And I also think there's this emerging conversation around basic income or guaranteed minimum income that makes sure people aren't working themselves to the ground and they aren't falling behind and they can do other things and create a long-lived life. And so while we're at it, what is it that makes someone have a long-lived life? I mean, we're kind of dancing around it, right? We've talked about the importance of structuring work so that people can live a long-lived life, but what are the actual criteria? So there are a lot of different factors that affect often at childbirth, right? So there's a geography of long-lived life to begin with. So I live in Washington, D.C. And if you're if you have the good fortune to be born in Georgetown, you live to 94. And if you have the bad fortune of being born in Anacostia, you live to 67. And so things happen early and it's access to good foods and stable families and education. All those matters in terms of what early on, whether you're gonna have that long-lived life. And that's an investment that we should be thinking about. But more than that, you know, it's lifelong learning, people who are active mentally. Schooling doesn't start end at high school or college. That continue to be mentally engaged is why work actually matters to lifelong health. Almost invariably do better. And the other thing that actually matters is family. So like, you know, we often assume health span is often tied to income, but it's also tied to family structure. And if you have strong networks and strong family structure, actually multi-generational families that take care of each other tend to be longer lived. So it's a lot that goes into that, into health span and living well. So all of that research that's being done at Stanford that you talk about in the first season of your podcast really formulates this new map of life. And so I want to make sure that we describe that. Can you tell us what the new map of life is? So the new map of life is sort of the culmination of decades worth of work at Stanford about how to live longer, happier lives and more productive lives. It actually started with a challenge. So Laura Carson, who I mentioned earlier, who founded the, the Center on Longevity, has been talking about these issues. We need to rethink how we live for quite a number of years. It's her research she's been thinking about. And after a while, some of her colleagues and funders and partners said, well, that's great that you're talking about we need to rethink it. Why don't you do it? That was born the New Map of Life project, which is sort of how do you really think all the segments of healthcare and work and retirement and how we organize our communities, uh, which is a big challenge. And the first report on it came out last fall, but it's going to be sort of an ongoing project as they work to describe it. And you know, our role is to turn that into a little bit of a podcast form. Well, and this conversation around rethinking work and making sure that we're aligning all of the different aspects of our lives to a better way of living. You know, this conversation is so important and so prescient right now because everybody's talking about the great resignation. So I just wonder, what are your thoughts on the great resignation and where does that fall in with season two of the podcast? So the great resignation is in many ways sort of unexpected accelerant of a lot of these trends around work, about the fight for work-life balance, you know, the idea of remote work, which was fairly foreign in the US, very common in places like Finland, but very foreign in the US until now. And I think it's brought to a head a lot of these issues that people have been talking about, which is like, how do you redesign work in a way that makes sense over longer life? And all of a sudden, there's sort of a real-life public experiment in that. And it's proved, I think, that some of the things that people speculate about could really help people in terms of remote work and more flexible hour, that they could be trusted with it, is actually proven true in real life. And the question, I think, is a natural experiment that continues as companies sort of clamor to bring people back to work? Or is it a moment of time that you know we all remember at some point as like, oh, that was that's, that's how it worked for those two years. And I think from our perspective, as we do our report on this, if the pandemic hadn't happened, we'd be describing how people work during the pandemic. More flexible work, the fight for work-life balance, the fight for flexible work hours, the fight for caregiving opportunities, the need for more learning opportunities. All those happened during the pandemic and the question is whether those are sustainable or not. You know, I think one of the really interesting things about the Great Resignation is that it's forcing a conversation around power. 
and whether or not people will even come back to work and their expectations of what work will look like. And I wonder if you have an opinion right now about that shift in power between workers and employers and what's happening on the ground, not just in professional business environments, but in healthcare and retail and all sorts of industries around the world. I have no idea how it's going to shake out. I can make a prediction, but you know, it's a coin flip for me. I hope it works out that what employers are asking for. So there are a couple things that are happening. One of which is, you know, it's this take this job and shove it, the old penny Johnny Paycheck song. A lot of the great resignation is about bad bosses and the notion that I can find either because I can walk down the street to another job and find it, a better job, or through technology, I have access to a world of jobs that didn't exist before. But it's mostly about labor shortages, and that gives workers power to sort of claim a work situation that is better for them and better for their families. I think labor is probably more cyclical, and that upper hand that labor has right now might pass, but I hope not, because it's been out of whack the other way for way too long. You know, I have this working theory that it's not the great resignation, it's the great talent swap. Doesn't matter the openings. There were openings before COVID and there are going to be job openings now and for time in memoriam. But people are just flopping around from one job to the other and they're not really truly aligning themselves with their values, with their goals. They're not really taking the time to think about what they want in their careers and they're just swapping out one terrible position for another. And I mean, maybe something is happening with their paycheck, but they're definitely not moving ahead emotionally. They're not moving ahead and working at that intersection of purpose and meaning. They're just swapping out one experience for the other. So I wonder if you have any thoughts on that or any reflections or any insights. So I I think that's largely right, but not exclusively right. So I think there's a bunch of different things going on. I think the biggest thing is, in fact, people looking for better jobs and the hope that the next, you know, the grass is greener, which is not always true. But there are a lot of early retirements as older workers find it hard to reintegrate into the workforce, which is a long-term Wait, are challenge. those early retirements or are they almost forced retirements? That's a good question. I think it is. Most of them are probably retirements forced by circumstance, right? And there is, I think, people leaving the workforce for caregiving and things like that, for sure. But the one thing I would say, you know, I'm 58. So, you know, I've had resumes and I've looked at resumes for decades now. I think one thing has changed for sure. If I saw a resume of someone who who held jobs, you know, had 10 jobs in a decade in the past, I would have just said, like, there's something wrong with that person. They can't hold a job. I think that has changed, right? The idea of declining job tenure, there's changes in expectations about how long you're supposed to be at a job. So I think some of the job hopping reflects sort of society saying, that's okay. It's okay for you to look for a better job circumstances for you and your family. That I hope is a good thing. Yeah, I hope so as well. Well, I'm super excited for season two of the podcast. And if there's one thing you want to leave our listeners with, what do you want them to know about the upcoming season that you're excited about? So I am excited. So this is more about me and I hope about your listeners as well. I'm excited about going out and talking to actual workers. So it starts with, we have a lot of professors and experts and they're great. Uh, But the conversations that I love is like starting with episode one, which is talking to kids at Stanford about what that career looks like and with their faculty advising how wrong they are. But that's the privilege of youth. All the way, you know, we're going to go to Kentucky and talk to worker, blue collar workers about, you know, sort of their future of work. We're talking to older workers. And that's really the fun thing is actually hearing from real stories that I think really sort of demonstrate and illustrate what the future work hopefully can look like. And hopefully at the end of the day, Laura can come back and answer your question and say, yes, we put a flag in the ground. This is what the future work needs to look like. So to hear about the podcast, they should go to, well, either wherever they get their podcast, Apple, Spotify, or to longevity.stanford.edu. Perfect. Well, Ken, it was a pleasure talking to you today. I hope you come back and let us know how things shake out for the future of work. I'd be thrilled to do it. Great talking with you, Lori. 
Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. We are proudly underwritten by the Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Punk Rock HR is produced and edited by RepCap with special help from Michael Thibodeau and Devin McGrath. For more information, show notes, links, and resources, head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. Punk Rock HR.